Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 6. And uh, if you have your message notes, you want to take notes, uh, you follow along. And uh, Joe has all the answers to all the notes, so. (laughs) I just read a fascinating book called Can God by a guy named Edwin Orr. Now, he lived... uh, quite a bit earlier than us. Uh, and I found this book in Pastor Kevin's office. Uh, it's all right next to a series of books called what do, what do You Do When Your Tire Goes Flat? <laughs> so. Well, as I was reading this book, uh, Can God, it's a journal of Edwin Orr's life from 1934 to 1946. You see, he believed that God had asked him to travel around the world preaching and praying about revival everywhere he went. A fascinating thing about this this man is that he never asked for money as he wanted to be a testimony that a person could be totally dependent upon God to take care of his needs. Listen, he traveled to 105 countries in his lifetime with nothing but the promise of God that God would take care of him. I mean, he didn't have any mission board or church funding him money. Literally, he didn't ask for money. He would go from place to place. And, it's, and so this journal is one God story after another, after another, after another, how God took care of him. I'll give you one illustration. One time he was traveling and he would ride his bike. He didn't have a car, but he would ride his bike or he, you know, of course, flew on a plane or traveled by ship to these different countries. But most of the time, he, and he started out in England and he was from that area and he was riding late one night uh, into a town called Shrewsbury. And it was so late that everything was closed and so he was wondering how he's going to sleep. And so he was praying to God, you know, God, you know, where am I going to sleep this night? And, and so he prayed about it, and he, and, he's, and he sees a police officer. He goes over to the police officer and, and says, um, is, do you know of a place where I could stay uh, for the night? And the police officer started asking him questions. Asked him who he was, and he said, I'm an evangelist. And, and the police officer was a little suspicious because it's late at night. He didn't look like an evangelist, so, you know, riding a long ways on his bike. And, and he meets this police officer in the middle of the night. And so he started asking questions, and he produced, uh, Edwin produced five letters from five different pastors and recommending, you know, who he was and that he was a good person and he was truly an evangelist. And then he said, I've got this one personal letter, but it's unknown, it's just from a Christian. And um, this also is a letter of recommendation. Well, the police officer took the letter and he read it. And as he read it, then he found the signature was a guy named William Phillips. And he broke, up in, broke in a smile because this was his personal friend. He knew William Phillips. And because of that, of course, he was able to uh, recognize that Edwin was who he was and that uh, eventually took him to a Christian family and was able to get some rest that night. Uh, And so uh, this is a journal about one story after another, how God miraculously provided for his needs. 
I believe we as followers of Jesus all desire, we all desire to experience such an adventure with God. It's scary, but yet it's so invigorating, inspiring, and, uh, and you come alive knowing that God is using us where our abilities cease as we become totally dependent upon God. He steps in and brings the help and deliverance that we need at that moment. That we're part of something bigger than ourselves that is connected to God. I remember at the age of 13, I could take you to the place there in Topeka, Kansas, right next to our church. There's a telephone pole as I was walking at about the age of 13. And I said to God, God, I want you to use me. I don't know what that might look, look like, but God, I want, to be, I want my life to count for something meaningful. Uh, God, I want you to use me. And I give you permission, God, to use me however you see fit. I believe the Bible teaches us that we were created to live a life that's meaningful, that's on purpose, that is designed by God, and only can be accomplished through faith. We're going to look at a story, such a story that takes place um, in the book of Mark chapter 6, where God takes some common men, some common people like you and I, and does some uncommon things um, with their lives. And so it's an interesting story found also in, in, in a couple other Gospels, Matthew and the, also in the book of Luke. But we're going to read the account out of Mark chapter 6. So let's start with verse 1. We're going to read some background verses of Jesus and the disciples. So verse 1, and then we'll end up looking at verses 7 to 13. So in verse 1 of Mark chapter 6, then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him, at Jesus. It's never good to be offended at Jesus. <laughs> But Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now let's get to verse 7. Here's our text for today. And he called the twelve to himself and he began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except the staff, no bag, no bread, no, no copper in their money belt, but to wear sandals and not to put on two uh, tunics like coats. And also he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And so they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons, anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. Interesting story, isn't it? 
how God took the disciples and he pushed them out into a time of faith where they had to be totally dependent upon God and God did powerful things through their lives. As we go back to verse seven, let's uh, go through these verses and glean some things as we uh, discover uh, this story about uh, the 12 disciples and I believe that we can bring an application to our own life. Let's go back to verse seven, and he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. So as we see, this is going to be a teaching moment for the disciples' growth. It's a teaching moment. They had been with Jesus following his lead, and now he turns them loose to be Jesus, to go into these villages and do exactly what he did as they experienced in following Jesus. The student is becoming like the teacher. This is something um, that's different for them. This is in a new level for them. God called them. They are stepping up to be used by God in a greater way, and this is part of their learning process. The way faith is like a muscle that we exercise it and we grow, and, and there are things and on all levels that we are, are experiencing steps of faith and growth of faith, and the, our whole life is like that. Uh, wherever you're at uh, as a believer, you, you are, are uh, at... at one area of your life, there's a step of faith, there's the next step of faith, and your whole life is gonna be a series of steps of faith, and you grow with that, and your faith grows in that process as well. So God is stretching them for how he will use them, and he has a plan for them in the future. He's got a plan. So as we look at this story, Jesus is also, as we think about today, we think about our lives, he is calling us to step out by faith to something that we've never done before. That for us to go forward, it has, it has to be a step of faith. Their faith has to be active, a trusting God. For us to go forward, we have to trust God. He's gonna work it out. It's stretching us. He's taken us and wants to take us to a new level a great, and use us in a greater way. You know, sometimes we say around here, go with God, which means is to follow God, trust God as we go with God, as he leads us. So, so as we look at this, and we look at this as a church, the growth of our church depends upon us growing healthy, growing leaders that God is asking us to step up into a different level, and he asked us to do those things. And that's part of the growth of our church. When we grow, listen, our growth of our church is connected to us growing individually, including the leadership, including uh, the teachers. Everybody, as we grow, the church grows into a healthy uh, place, and we have growth. And so it's important for us to embrace this message. It's important to, to follow these, these men and follow just like how they responded. And so Jesus is here. He's taking a step back for the disciples to take a step forward. And perhaps this is what he meant when he said that they would accomplish more than, than he had when he was gone. In other words, he duplicated himself 
11 times, you know, we take Judas out of the equation of the 12 disciples, but at least 11 different individuals are following Jesus and they follow Jesus exactly and go out to the uttermost parts of the world. And it's amazing what, what happened there because of their uh, obedience, submission to what the Lord was asking them to do. I think one more important thing in this verse as we think of Jesus sending them away is that, uh, remember the context of here, Jesus is on the earth and, and he's moving towards the cross. And when he moves towards the cross and he dies on the cross and he goes to the grave, he, he eventually sends up into heaven. And Jesus is preparing them for there's going to be a time when he would no longer be with them and they would be on their own. They would be, uh, the, the physical presence of Jesus would no longer be there. They no longer could talk to him and look him in the eye and ask him questions or follow his lead as they physically see. There was going to be a time when he wouldn't be around, but he wanted to remind them and to experience that his presence and his power would still be with him, even though they didn't see him. And so it was a test. It was a uh, a, a process for growing when Jesus was going to be around. And then we find here in verse 7, it gives, and when he called the disciples, and he, and he began to send them out two by two. He sent them out two by two. And I think uh, that is an important step as, as we think about going out uh, into the to places of the unknown, that it was a, a pattern that we find throughout the Scripture. That... Uh, in fact, the word uh, two means um, dual in the Bible. And so each of these two, as they go out two by two, we could call them the dynamic dual. <laughs> Sorry. But they were pairing up to doing ministry. It's a pattern in the Bible as you, as you think about it. Remember when in Acts chapter 13 when the Holy Spirit came and said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas. Remember that? Separate. And, and, and so he said, I, I want to send them out. And so the church, and the church responded knowing and seeing that the Holy Spirit was working there. And because of that, they, they flowed with what the Holy Spirit was doing and they sent um, out Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas go out and they do ministry and they're together, they're paired up and they're, they're two by two and, and, uh, and there they are. And, and then, but you remember also that Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement one time later on in between about John Mark. So we take John Mark, Barnabas said yes, Paul said no because of some things that, Paul, that John Mark had did. And, and so, and then when they did and they, they decided to split, you know what happened? They gathered at least one other person or other people to go with them. I'm just saying that there's a pattern of this, and I think it's important for us as we think about missionaries, and we think about going out and doing ministry, that God, it's good for us to do that, to pair up, to, to go in, in more than just ourselves. And so I think that's important as we find that a pattern in Scripture. And I, I think that uh, missionaries and starting churches, when they do that, have a better chance, better opportunity to be encouraged to go forward because of that pairing, encouraging. 
But also, I think one of the other things of a two-by-two is that the authenticity of their message was backed by more than one person. And I think that's important because in the Old Testament, it says in chapter 19, verse 15, it said, only the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall charge be established. And then this principle is carried over in the New Testament, Matthew 18, 16, when it's talking about church discipline, when a person doesn't respond to the individual that has approached them saying that there's wrong in that person's life, they are together two or three others and take them with them to talk to that individual. And it says in verse 16 of chapter 18 of the, of the book of Matthew, but if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony testimony of two or three witnesses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1, Paul is saying, he says this, he says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. An accusation, Leon Paul's talk about accusations gets an elder, and he said, he said only if two or more are, are in agreement do you make this accusation. So I'm saying that, that here that we have this going out, truth is established by more than one witness as they go out um, agreeing with each other's message. And I think when you say, say as, a, as a person, when you say, I, I think this, you ought to better have more than just your opinion of something that's right. That'd be something, and, and, and as believers, followers of Jesus Christ, when, when we stand before people, when we say something, and we say, you know, this is what the Bible says, and I agree, and I want to testify you as another witness that the Bible is true, and I have experienced what God has done. That's a powerful witness. When you can talk to people about God and you can say, here's what the Bible says, that's a witness of God's word, and you can say, and I know that is true because I have experienced that in my life as well. That is a powerful witness of truth. I think there's one more thing that the good reason that they were sent out two by two, and I think it was just for mutual encouragement. They were going away. They were leaving, they were going in, they were doing battle. This was frontline ministry. There was the devil. They were going into dark places, people that were ungodly, people who did not know God. And, and it can be a discouraging. It can be hard and difficult in, in ministering and, and helping people and trying to help people, and it can be discouraging. But if you have a partner, somebody that is alongside you to encourage you, and to, that mutual encouragement is powerful. I think as we threw it, look out throughout the Bible that that is, is, a, is a, a theme that is written over and over again that we're to encourage one another. And we do that because of our relation. We do that because we're part of a, of a church family. We do that because we're part of a, a small group. Those are places or means to encourage us in our journey with God. We need each other. And they were sent out with authority. God gave them authority to do the things that were uncommon. I think that's powerful. Let's go to verse 8 and read verse 9 again. And he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. So here we to he tells them to take nothing for the journey. 
I mean, they were, except for a walking stick, and they could have sandals and, and the clothes on their back, but they weren't to take anything. And the reason is that they were to have total dependence upon God, that God can be trusted, total dependence. They didn't know where their next meal was going to come. They didn't know where they're going to sleep. They didn't know uh, all these things. But they did know and experience that wherever God leads, he does provide. Hudson Taylor said this as a great missionary to China, and he said, God's work done in God's way will always be met with God's provision. You can count that. That's money in the bank. Let's go to verse 10. And he said, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And he said, when you're invited to stay and you go into this village, you don't know where you're going to stay, but somebody says, why don't you come spend the night with this? You stay in that place until uh, you leave the city. And I think the important point of this is that when they were to go to these places, they weren't to say, you know, uh, I'm staying here, but, you know, uh, this is like Motel 6, and over here it is like, um, I don't know, a five-star motel. I think I'll run over here because it'd be more comfortable. He said, no. He said, whenever a door opens and God supplies, I want you to be content how he is taking care of your needs. Be content. Contentment is at peace with what God has provided. They were to go to those places and, and eat what is set before him before them, where they would sleep, whatever circumstances to where God had, had led them, they were to learn to be content. They went to places where they were well received. They went to places that refused them. But they learned to be content in the will of God and what God has provided. I think that's so important for us to understand that. A sign of contentment is the level of our gratefulness. And Paul said, in everything, give thanks. Now imagine, just imagine, let's take Thomas. Let's pick on Thomas because he was a doubter. And maybe he was paired with Judas. I don't know. It would be interesting to find out how he was paired. Imagine if they were all to pick their own people. I don't want to go Judas. I, I mean, with Thomas, oh, he just complains, he whines. And so let's imagine that we'll put Judas and, and Thomas together. And they go into this place and somebody serves them. I don't know. Spaghetti. Spaghetti. And they don't like spaghetti. Mom makes spaghetti this way and, and this not like this. And, and so they're starting to complain. And they're starting to whine. And then they, they go, oh yeah, we got to tell them the message. Hey, folks, would you trust God for your needs? You see what I'm saying? is that, that when we complain at the provision of God in our lives and how great he is and how good he is, wonderful, and try to tell people when we're complaining about the things that are happening in our life, it disqualifies, it discounts everything we say about God. I want you to follow God. Why should I follow you? You're not happy. You, you, why should I do that? So I think it's important for us. I think it's important for parents, and you have kids in your home, to be very careful 
about complaining and whining about the things of God. Listen, every believer parent wants their children to grow up in church. They want them to follow Jesus. But if we hear, if they hear a diet of complaining and whining and, and how that this isn't happening and this about the things of God and whatever, how can that be attractive to our kids? We're, we're shooting ourselves in the foot when we say, this is what I want you to do, and yet you complain about the very thing that you want them to do. It's important for us to be content with what God has given us and what we are experiencing in the circumstances. If your mate or your friends, listen, if we complain, if we, if we whine about the things of God, how do we expect them if they're not believers, if they're not, if they're not uh, where they need to be, how can we expect them to be thrilled about serving God and following God when while they hear about the negatives, like it's a rotten deal from God? So I think it's important to be content. And, and, and Jesus was saying, he said, when you enter that place, you stay there. You don't part. You just, you just say, hey, this is great. You just go with it. Let's go to verse 11. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you from, from you depart from there, shake off the dust on your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment for that city. Their mission was simply to proclaim a message. And the message was about repentance, about getting right with God, turning from their sins and turning to God. And so that was a simple message. Their job as preachers, as messengers, wasn't to change people's mind. That was God. They were just simply just to give the message, plant the seed. Remember, we talked about that a, a previous chapter, uh, about planting the seed and God brings the increase. We just be faithful in doing that. And the... Uh, now, in the Jewish day, when a Jew would go through a Gentile uh, city, in fact, when he would leave a Gentile country, a Jew would, and it, it, that he, and during that time in the culture, they would like wipe the dust off their, off their feet. And it was a symbol, a symbolic, that they didn't want anything to do with the Gentile, that city, or that country. They wanted to wipe that away because it, they believed it was an unclean. And, and, and they only did that to Gentile countries or Gentile cities as they were leaving them. And what Jesus is saying here, he says, now listen, you go to a Jewish community and they reject the message, such as Nazareth. They reject the message. You're to do to that city like you would to a Gentile city. To wipe it off. And allow saying that there is a rejection of the message and God has rejected them because they rejected God. Let's go to verse 12. And so when they went out and preached that people should repent. Now, all the things we had before is kind of like, can God do this? Can God do these things? And God is, is telling them some instructions. And they're, they're pretty, it's a tall order for God, for people to go and to, to uh, go without money and to trust all this, that God's going to take care of them. And then in verse 12, here is the defining moment in the first part of verse 12. So they went out. I mean, they responded. They said, okay, let's do this. And so they leave 
God and, and follow his instructions. It's a defining moment, a decision. They step out by obedience. They heard what God had told them, and they obeyed. My friend, to live in, in a life of adventure, you just got to obey God. If we just obey God, you know, it would be amazing what God does, and it would be amazing where he takes you and what he does with us in our life. The presence, the, our present obedience moves us forward to greater use by God. And we can hear God's word all day long, but something's missing until we do it. And so they went out and they preached that people should repent. Verse 13. And they cast out many demons, anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. Verse 13. Celebrating God can. Imagine the disciples as they return back and they started to give reports. Started giving to experiences. Oh, you should have been there. I went into this city and, and, and man, we went and uh, first of all, we had this place that we stayed and uh, they were kind to us and then we preached to them and, and their neighbor got saved and, and there was, a, there was a, you know, a little girl or a man and it needed to be healed and we healed them and God just did. And then there was this guy, they brought him and he had, had uh, demons and we cast them out and God just did a wonderful work and we left that place and they were singing and praising God and oh, what a wonderful thing happened happened because of the message of God. Oh, they started sharing that. It's been a wonderful reunion. The disciples sharing their experiences of God. And it started with just trusting God. Can God, and we wrestle with that, and they say, okay, let's go forward. Let's trust God. And then they come back rejoicing. Some amazing things, some powerful things happened. So let's make an application to all this story, okay? So I, th I thought we would divide up in two by twos today. And we want you all to empty up your, empty your pockets and your, leave your cell phones behind. And uh, I thought we would, uh, you know, leave your credit cards and your debit cards, Michael. Uh, I want you to leave all that. And you, just one coat. And uh, we're going to leave our cars here, our keys here. And, and we thought we would just trust God and just travel two by two. Are you guys with me on this? You ready to go and, and travel over? We need somebody to go up to Santa Barbara up there. And, and Ed, why don't you go to Santa Monica with Betty? And, and... Well, we'd do that if God told us to, wouldn't we? But God has told us. There are things that he does tell us, and perhaps he is telling us something just as big and just as powerful as the story that we just read about going out two by two. He's asked us to have a life of walking not by sight, but by faith, trusting God for the next step. Trusting God. I don't know what that step might look like for you. You know, there are things in my life that I'm praying about. And there are things, no doubt, in your life that you're praying. praying. And you might be at this stage. So can I really trust God with this? 
Can I believe that God is going to come through if I trust him with this step, with this? Maybe, maybe there's somebody right now that this is a defining moment for you. You've been wrestling with something. And God has spoken to you right now. And you're saying yes. It's a defining moment. And I know that the, based upon that decision that God will do some amazing things in your life. It may not be like what they're talking about. That was a special call and special situation for these guys. But God is wanting to use us and work in our life. Some of you, have, you're just coming off of something that you, you remember you're wrestling and you did take that step and you did. And you could st- stand up right now and testify and say, God, I want to tell you what God's done. Here's what I did. I started to do, uh, you know, this and, and I gave God this and, and I, I, I made this commitment. I did this, 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 and I felt like God, and I did that. And I want to testify that I have experienced God working in my life, his power. And we would rejoice with you. We would rejoice. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have called us to follow you. And every step that we take with you is taken by faith. You have new places and new experiences and God, you have exciting things that you want to do not only individually but even for this church. This church, God, you, you want to make a greater impact in this community, in the surrounding communities. God, I, I just want to stop and just praise at least for the last four years that have been here, that, God, we've had a step of faith in, in many areas that we didn't know how it was going to work out. But we do have some great people of faith who have trusted you. And, God, you have done amazing things. There are people right here because of this ministry that are going to heaven. Great changes have been made in their life. And so, God, I thank you for the, those that are willing to follow your leadership. And, God, may we all just, when we hear your word, we trust you with it. Father, we pray for that person right now. Maybe it's their salvation. Maybe it's... Maybe it's some problem they're wrestling with and they're losing sleep over it. They they need to turn it over to you. God, use us in the presence and use us in a powerful way in the future for your honor and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.